0: Chapter Sixteen of Orley Farm by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leonard Wilson. Chapter Sixteen, Mister Dockrath in Bedford Row. Mister Dockrath, as he left Leeds and proceeded to join the bosom of his family, was not discontented with what he had done. It might not improbably have been the case that Mr. Mason would altogether refuse to see him, and having seen him, Mr. Mason might altogether have declined his assistance. He might have been forced as a witness to disclose his secret, of which he could make so much better a profit as a legal adviser. As it was, Mr. Mason had promised to pay him for his services, and would no doubt be induced to go so far as to give him a legal claim for payment mr mason had promised to come up to town and had instructed the hamworth attorney to meet him there and under such circumstances the hamworth attorney had but little doubt that time would produce a considerable bill of costs in his favour and then he thought that he saw his way to a great success i should be painting the devil too black were i to say that revenge was his chief incentive in that which he was doing all our motives are mixed and his wicked desire to do evil to lady mason in return for the evil which she had done to him was mingled with professional energy and an ambition to win a cause that ought to be won especially a cause which others had failed to win he said to himself on finding those names and dates among old mr usbeck's papers that there was still an opportunity of doing something considerable in this orley farm case and he had made up his mind to do it professional energy revenge and money considerations would work hand in hand in this matter and therefore as he left leeds in the second-class railway carriage for london he thought over the result of his visit with considerable satisfaction he had left leeds at ten and mr moulder had come down in the same omnibus to the station and was travelling in the same train in a first-class carriage mr moulder was a man who despised the second-class and was not slow to say so before other commercials who travelled at a cheaper rate than he did hubbles and grease he said allowed him respectably in order that he might go about their business respectable and he wasn't going to give the firm a bad name by being seen in a second-class carriage, although the difference would go into his own pocket. That wasn't the way he had begun, and that wasn't the way he was going to end. He said nothing to Mr. Dockwrath in the morning, merely bowing in answer to that gentleman's salutation. "'Hope you were comfortable last night in the back drawing-room,' said Mr. Dockwrath. But Mr. Moulder, in reply, only looked at him at the mansfield station mr kantwise with his huge wooden boxes appeared on the platform and he got into the same carriage with mr dockwrath he had come on by a night train and had been doing a stroke of business that morning well kantwise moulder hollowed out from his warm well padded seat doing it cheap and nasty eh not at all nasty mr moulder said the other "'and I find myself among as respectable a class of society "'and the second class as you do in the first. "'Quite so. "'And perhaps a little better,' Mr. Cantwise added, "'as he took his seat, immediately opposite to Mr. Dockwrath. "'I hope I have the pleasure of seeing you pretty bobbish this morning, sir.' "'And he shook hands cordially with the attorney.' "'Tidy, thank you,' said Dockwrath. "'My company last night did not do me any harm. "'You may swear to that.' (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha i was so delighted that you got the better of moulder a domineering party isn't he quite terrible for myself i can't put up with him sometimes i didn't have to put up with him last night no no it was very good wasn't it very capital indeed all the same i wish you'd heard busby give us beautiful venice city of song a charming voice as must be quite charming and there was a pause for a minute or so, after which Mr Cantwise resumed the conversation. You'd allow me to put you up one of those drawing room sets, he said. Well, I am afraid not. I don't think they are strong enough where there are children. Dear, 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 dear to hear you say so, Mr Dockwrath. Why they are made for strength. They are the very things for children, because they don't break, you know. But they'd bend terribly by no means they're so elastic that they always recover themselves i didn't show you that but you might turn the backs of them chairs nearly down to the ground and they will come straight again you let me send you a set for your wife to look at if she's not charmed with them i'll 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 eat them women are charmed with anything said mr dockwrath a new bonnet does that "'They know what they're about pretty well, as I dare say you have found out. "'I'll send express to Sheffield and have a completely new set put up for you.' "'For twelve seventeen six, of course?' "'Oh, dear, no, Mr. Dockwrath. "'The lowest figure for ready money delivered free is fifty and 10. "'I couldn't think of paying more than Mrs. Mason.' Ah, but that was a damaged set, it was indeed, and she merely wanted it as a present for the curate's wife. The table was quite sprung, and the music-stool wouldn't twist. But you'll send them to me, new? New from the manufactory. Upon my word, we will. A table that you have never acted upon, have never shown off on, standing in the middle, you know? Yes, upon my honour. You shall have them direct from the workshop, and sent at once. You shall find them in your drawing-room on Tuesday next. We'll say 1310. I couldn't do it, Mr. Dockwrath. And so they went on bargaining half the way up to town, till at last they came to terms for 1411. And a very superior article your lady will find them, Mr. Cantwise said, as he shook hands with his new friend at parting. One day Mr. Dockwrath remained at home in the bosom of his family, saying all manner of spiteful things against Lady Mason, and on the next day he went up to town and called on Round and Crook, that one day he waited in order that Mr. Mason might have time to write, but Mr. Mason had written on the very day of the visit to Groby Park, and Mr. Round, Junior, was quite ready for Mr. Dockwrath when that gentleman called. Mr. Dockwrath, when at home, had again cautioned his wife to have no intercourse whatever with that swindler at Orley Farm, wishing thereby the more thoroughly to imbue poor Miriam with the conviction that Lady Mason had committed some fraud with reference to the will. You had better say nothing about the matter anywhere, do you hear? People will talk. All the world will be talking about it before long. But that is nothing to you. If people ask you, SAY THAT YOU BELIEVE THAT I AM ENGAGED IN THE CASE PROFESSIONALLY, BUT THAT YOU KNOW NOTHING FURTHER." AS TO ALL WHICH, MIRIAM, OF COURSE, PROMISED THE MOST EXACT OBEDIENCE. BUT MR. Dockwrath, THOUGH HE ONLY REMAINED ONE DAY IN HAMWORTH, BEFORE HE WENT TO LONDON, TOOK CARE THAT THE CURIOSITY OF HIS NEIGHBOURS SHOULD BE SUFFICIENTLY EXCITED. MR. Dockwrath FELT SOME LITTLE TREPIDATION AT THE HEART, As he walked into the office of messrs round and crook in bedford row messrs round and crook stood high in the profession and were men who in the ordinary way of business would have had no personal dealings with such a man as mr dockwrath had any such intercourse become necessary on commonplace subjects messrs round and crook's confidential clerk might have seen mr dockwrath but even he would have looked down upon the hamworth attorney as from a great moral height. But now in the matter of the Orley Farm case, Mr. Dockrath had determined that he would transact business only on equal terms with the Bedford Row people. The secret was his, of his finding. He knew the strength of his own position, and he would use it. But nevertheless, he did tremble inwardly as he asked whether Mr. Round was within, or if not Mr. Round than mr crook there were at present three members in the firm though the old name remained unaltered the mr round and the mr crook of former days were still working partners the very round and the very crook who had carried on the battle on the part of mr mason of groby twenty years ago but to them had been added another mr round a son of old round who, though his name did not absolutely appear in the nomenclature of the firm, was, as a working man, the most important person in it. Old Mr. Round might now be said to be ornamental and communicative. He was a hale man of nearly seventy, who thought a great deal of his peaches up at Isleworth, who came to the office five times a week, not doing very much hard work, and who took the largest share in the profits, Mr. Round, Sr. had enjoyed the reputation of being a sound, honourable man, but was now considered by some to be not quite sharp enough for the practice of the present day. Mr. Crook had usually done the dirty work of the firm, having been originally a managing clerk, and he still did the same in a small way. He had been the man to exact penalties, look after costs, and attend to any criminal business, or business partly criminal in its nature, which might chance to find its way to them. But latterly, in all great matters, Mr. Round, Jr., Mr. Matthew Round—his father was Richard—was the member of the firm on whom the world, in general, placed the greatest dependence. Mr. Mason's letter had in the ordinary way of business come to him, although it had been addressed to his father, and he had resolved on acting on it himself. When Mr. Dockrath called, Mr. Round, Sr. was at Birmingham, Mr. Crook was taking his annual holiday, and Mr. Round, Jr. was reigning alone in Bedford Row. Instructions had been given to the clerks that if Mr. Dockwrath called, he was to be shown in, and therefore he found himself seated, with much less trouble than he had expected, in the private room of Mr. Round, Jr. He had expected to see an old man and was therefore somewhat confused not feeling quite sure that he was in company with one of the principals but nevertheless looking at the room and especially at the armchair and carpet he was aware that the legal gentleman who motioned him to a seat could be no ordinary clerk the manner of this legal gentleman was not as mr dockwrath thought quite so ceremoniously civil as it might be considering the important nature of the business to be transacted between them mr dockwrath intended to treat on equal terms and so intending would have been glad to have shaken hands with his new ally at the commencement of their joint operations but the man before him a man younger than himself too did not even rise from his chair ah mr dockwrath he said taking up a letter from the table will you have the goodness to sit down and mr matthew round wheeled his own armchair towards the fire stretching out his legs comfortably and pointing to a somewhat distant seat as that intended for the accommodation of his visitor mr dockwrath seated himself in the somewhat distant seat and deposited his hat upon the floor not being as yet quite at home in his position but he made up his mind as he did so that he would be at home before he left the room i find that you have been down in yorkshire with a client of ours mr dockwrath said mr matthew round Uh, yes i have said he of hamworth ah well you are in the profession yourself i believe yes i am an attorney would it not have been well to have come to us first no i think not i have not the pleasure of knowing your name sir my name is round matthew round i beg your pardon sir i did not know said mr dockwrath bowing it was a satisfaction to him to learn that he was closeted with a mr round even if it were not the mr round no mr round i can not say that i should have thought of that in the first place i didn't know whether mr mason employed any lawyer and in the next well well it does not matter it is usual among the profession but it does not in the least signify Mr. Mason has written to us, and he says that you have found out something about that Orley Farm business. Yes, I have found out something. At least I rather think so. Well, what is it, Mr. Dockwrath? Ah, that's the question. It's rather a ticklish business, Mr. Round, a family affair, as I may say. Whose family? To a certain extent, my family, and to a certain extent, Mr. Mason's family. "'I don't know how far I should be justified in laying all the facts before you—wonderful facts they are, too, in an off-hand way like that. These matters have to be considered a great deal. It is not only the extent of the property. There is much more than that in it, Mr. Round.' "'If you don't tell me what there is in it, I don't see what we are to do.' "'I am sure you did not give yourself the trouble of coming up here from Hamworth merely with the object of telling us that you are going to hold your tongue.' "'Certainly not, Mr. Round.' "'Then what did you come to say?' "'May I ask you, Mr. Round, what Mr. Mason has told you with reference to my interview with him?' "'Yes, I will read you a part of his letter.' mr dockwrath is of opinion that the will under which the estate is now enjoyed is absolutely a forgery i presume you mean the codicil mr dockwrath oh yes the codicil of course and he has in his possession documents which i have not seen but which seem to me as described to go far to prove that this certainly must have been the case and then he goes on with a description of dates although it is clear that he does not understand the matter himself indeed he says as much now of course we must see these documents before we can give our client any advice a certain small portion of mr mason's letter mr round did then read but he did not read those portions in which mr mason expressed his firm determination to reopen the case against lady mason and even to prosecute her for forgery if it were found that he had anything like a fair chance of success in doing so. "'I know that you were convinced,' he had said, addressing himself personally to Mr. Round, Sr., "'that Lady Mason was acting in good faith. I was always convinced of the contrary, and am more sure of it now than ever.'" This last paragraph Mr. Round, Jr. had not thought it necessary to read to Mr. Dockwrath the documents to which i allude are in reference to my confidential family matters and i certainly shall not produce them without knowing on what ground i am standing of course you are aware mr dockwrath that we could compel you there mr round i must be allowed to differ it won't come to that of course if you have anything worth showing you'll show it and if we make use of you as a witness it must be as a willing witness I DON'T THINK IT PROBABLE THAT I SHALL BE A WITNESS IN THE MATTER AT ALL. AH, WELL, PERHAPS NOT. MY OWN IMPRESSION IS THAT NO CASE WILL BE MADE OUT, THAT THERE WILL BE NOTHING TO TAKE BEFORE A JURY. THERE AGAIN, I MUST DIFFER FROM YOU, MR. ROUND. OH, OF COURSE. I SUPPOSE THE REAL FACT IS THAT IT IS A MATTER OF MONEY. YOU WANT TO BE PAID FOR WHAT INFORMATION YOU HAVE GOT. THAT IS ABOUT THE LONG AND THE SHORT OF IT, EH, MR. Dockrath? i don't know what you call the long and the short of it mr round or what may be your way of doing business as a professional man of course i expect to be paid for my work and i have no doubt that you expect the same no doubt mr dockwrath but as you have made the comparison i hope you will excuse me for saying so we always wait till our clients come to us mr dockwrath drew himself up with some intention of becoming angry but he hardly knew how to carry it out, and then it might be a question whether anger would serve his turn. "'Do you mean to say, Mr. Round, if you had found documents such as these, you would have done nothing about them, that you would have passed them by as worthless?' "'I can't say that till I know what the documents are. If I found papers concerning the client of another firm, I should go to that firm if I thought that they demanded attention.' I didn't know anything about the firm. How was I to know? Well, you know now, Mr. Dockrath, as I understand it, our client has referred you to us. If you have anything to say, we are ready to hear it. If you have anything to show, we are ready to look at it. If you have nothing to say and nothing to show— Ah, but I have, Only, only you want us to make it worth your while.' we might as well have the truth at once. Is not that about it? I want to see my way, of course. Exactly. And now, Mr. Dockwrath, I must make you understand that we don't do business in that way. Then I shall see Mr. Mason again myself. That you can do. He will be in town next week, and, as I believe, wishes to see you as regards your expenses if you can show us that you have any communication to make that is worth our client's attention we will see that you are paid what you are out of pocket and some fair remuneration for the time you may have lost not as an attorney remember for in that light we cannot regard you i am every bit as much an attorney as you are no doubt but you are not mr mason's attorney and as long as it suits him to honour us with his custom you cannot be so regarded that's as he pleases no it is not mr dockwrath it is as he pleases whether he employs you or us but it is not as he pleases whether he employs both on business of the same class he may give us his confidence or he may withdraw it "'Looking at the way the matter was managed before, "'perhaps the latter may be the better for him. "'Excuse me, Mr. Dockwrath, for saying that that is a question "'I shall not discuss with you.' "'Upon this Mr. Dockrath jumped from his chair and took up his hat. "'Good morning to you, sir,' said Mr. Round, without moving from his chair. "'I will tell Mr. Mason that you have declined making any communication to us. "'He will probably know your address, if he should want it.' mr dockwrath paused was he not about to sacrifice substantial advantage to momentary anger would it not be better that he should carry this impudent young london lawyer with him if it were possible sir said he i am quite willing to tell you all that i know of this matter at present if you will have the patience to hear it patience mr dockwrath why i am made of patience sit down again mr dockwrath and think of it mr dockwrath did sit down again and did think of it and it ended in his telling to mr round all that he had told to mr mason as he did so he looked closely at mr round's face but there he could read nothing exactly said mr round the fourteenth of july is the date of both i have taken a memorandum of that A final deed for closing partnership, was it? I have got that down. John Kenneby and Bridget Bolster, I'd remember the names. Witnesses to both deeds, were they? I understand. Nothing about this other deed was brought up at the trial. I see the point. Such as it is. John Kenneby and Bridget Bolster, both believed to be living. Oh, you can give their address, can you? Decline to do so now? Very well, it does not matter. I think I understand it all now, Mr. Dockwrath, and when we want you again you shall hear from us. Samuel Dockwrath, is it? Thank you. Good morning. If Mr. Mason wishes to see you, he will write, of course. Good day, Mr. Dockwrath. And so Mr. Dockwrath went home, not quite contented with his day's work. End of Chapter 16 of Orley Farm by Anthony Trollope Recording by Leonard Wilson of Springfield, Ohio